Hey everyone. As our lives move forward, it seems like we're all reaching for something. A new job, a new promotion, that next step of achievement. But where is it going to? And does that make us happy? As Cadence has grown and my career has progressed, I haven't always found real satisfaction or joy in each step. You know, luckily overall, I really enjoy my life, but it doesn't necessarily come from getting some next bigger thing. And in fact, sometimes the price that you pay to get there isn't worth it. So I've been really thinking a lot about what are the lessons learned from progression and becoming more successful? What are those great lessons, those ones that you're so happy, like, wow, I feel good that I've learned that. And what are the ones that are bitter and hard? So when I was thinking about doing this topic, I automatically thought of Dan Smith, who is a very successful tattoo artist, a great musician, and just a wonderful guy. He's someone that I believe has achieved real success, but has stayed grounded and has taken in lessons, both good and bad, and used them to make himself a better person, a better professional, and also get to the ultimate success, which I believe is happiness. So today's episode is really powerful. I loved every minute of it, and I think you will too. So tuck in and get ready for the next episode of One Step Beyond. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. Today we have with us Dan Smith, uh, who is an incredible tattoo artist uh, and has had a very, very storied musical career as well. We're going to be talking about lessons learned through success. You know, success is something that people struggle with, um, either because they want it or they get it and then they're not happy with what it looks like on that end. I can say for myself, um, success has been a real mixed bag of some of the coolest things that I've ever experienced and also some of the darkest and hardest. I've really only gotten to a place in my life in the past few years where I really have understood what success looks like in an ideal way for me and have been able to start actualizing that. So when I was thinking about this topic, Dan sprung to mind because he's someone whose career I've followed, and I've always really respected the way that he's carried himself through some really interesting spaces. So, Dan, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me, man. So, you know, anyone who's coming to this episode very likely already knows who you are or your body of work. However, there's a lot of business people that listen to this who are going to, you know, Google you afterwards or look you up. So do you want to give us, uh, you know, what's the intro about you, your career, what you've done? Well, uh, I guess the intro, uh, you know, it's funny when I think about this, I've, I've had to think about this a few times before on different podcasts or interviews. And in, in my head, I've kind of just, I, I do now what I wanted to do and did do when I was a teenager, you know what I mean? Like, sure, I've, I've been able to travel and, and stuff like that. And I, I come from a, a small country, the bottom of the world. But in essence, I'm just doing what I kind of knew that I had to do from the influence that, uh, you know, especially punk and, and hardcore kind of gave to me at a very young age. Um, so, I, I mean, I was born in England. I grew up there. 
till I was about seven. And then my family moved to New Zealand. I lived in New Zealand until 2001. And then I moved to Australia, um, lived there for two and a half years. During that time, uh, I was in a band that toured here, the States uh, and uh, Europe, Japan. We, we, did it. we did everything over the space of uh, a couple of years. And then that was kind of a stepping stone to move to California in 2004. And then uh, I've been here ever since. So um, yeah, I, I call Southern California home now, but I've kind of been everywhere and I've spent a, a decent amount of time everywhere. So it's um, kind of an interesting uh, outlook on the world, you know? Well, man. And also it's like, that's like the smallest part of the story, but I'm really interested in that early chapter because I, I want to dive into that. But, you know, after moving to, to California, you know, your career kind of went into a whole different space. Why don't you tell us about, you know, the um, tattooing here, kind of getting established and then ending up being on, uh, on a TV show? Well, like I said, I mean, I, I discovered punk and hardcore at a very young age. My dad was a huge music fan or is a huge music fan. He was a mod in England. So I, I really had the greatest sort of musical upbringing uh, through his record collection. And from a young age, I was totally aware of, of tattoos and, um, you know, how, how tattoos just sort of complement music um, and just kind of dived into to both. You know, growing up in New Zealand, obviously, it's a very small country. So I felt the limitations there from a young age. And I think that paired with just being young and kind of fearless and just wanting to just get out into the world and just try and do everything I could. You know, I always had a burning sort of desire to just do everything I could um, within the confines of punk and hardcore, whether it was play music, you know, do the artwork for music, print t-shirts, um, put on shows. And that led to touring, that led to touring to Australia. That led to me leaving New Zealand, moving to New Zealand, uh, moving to uh, Australia to join another band that was that was doing really really well, and that band ended up moving to California through a lot of touring. Um, and so every step of the way, I kind of was just doing what I ended up doing in the in the beginning. You know, it's like to me designing a T-shirt. I mean, I did one yesterday. You know, it's still the most fun and exciting thing. Um, and actually, I was listening to to your awesome new band change. And I was, I was really, you know, stoked on all the artwork and stuff. And I'm like, man, like, you know, it, it's, it's inspiration like that, that I feel like I was very lucky as a young kid to have in the beginning. And I'm still lucky to have it today. Yeah. I mean, and thank you. Thank you for that about change. Um, so I want to talk about day of contempt. Is that cool? Yeah, of course. Okay. So day of contempt was a band in Australia that ended up touring all over the place, but getting established in California. And I believe you guys were on Epitaph. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. We did an EP on Epitaph. Um, basically the year we, you know, the year we moved here. So just for context, so people can hear this and why I find this part so fascinating is, you know, punk and hardcore, it, it can be really um, North American centric and, you know, and then also some UK focus, but more North American centric. And, Really what I, you know, I'd say anyone who's toured and been around the world, you can say repeatedly is like European bands, Australian bands, Japanese bands are like unreal. These incredible bands from all over the world who don't get a shake because they're not from North America. They don't get the right attention. 
And you got bands that like bust their butts, tour hard, do all that kind of stuff. Day of Contempt was different though. Uh, it seemed like that band just went all out. You took risks, you did stuff, you were willing to sacrifice, suffer, put yourselves out there. And then you ended up getting signed to like everybody's teenage dream record label to get it signed to, which is Epitaph in the US. That's nuts. Like, first of all, what was that like for you to be like part of that, you know, growing up in New Zealand, born in England, growing up in New Zealand, and suddenly you're doing this thing that really it's so against the odds for someone to do growing up from that place. So how was that for you? I mean, for the most part, it was, it was super exciting. It was, you know, it was part of the plan, you know, in in my head, at least, you know, obviously, you know, you've played music forever. It's like a band is made up of a few different personalities and, and everybody kind of naturally falls into a role some of that can be very healthy and some can be very unhealthy. So when, you, when you're talking about moving and, and leaving everything that you have and, and putting a few things in a suitcase and moving your whole life to a different country, looking back now, I can see that we had the sort of naivety to do it and, and just be fearless and like, we're, you know, we're, we're living the dream. And then yeah. you end up in a huge, crazy country with no real lifelines you know we couldn't you know things got tough we couldn't go and live with mom and dad again we couldn't um rely on really anybody so you know to answer your question it was the most exciting the biggest decision we you know i'd ever made but as soon as we got here there was a a definite dark side that was just a, a huge reality check of like yeah, you're not the big fish in the small pond anymore. You're literally a drop in the bucket. Um, So, you know what I mean? Like you need to, you need to be kind of serious about it, you know, but then, then comes the, the sort of um, anguish, the mental anguish of like, well, this music is supposed to be a pure thing and it's supposed to be honest and it's, it's, you know, but, in order to play the game over here, we realized like, wow, like there's a lot that we need to, to figure out and to process. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I feel like everybody kind of dealt with that in a very, very different way. Um, you know, those, those roles in the band were very apparent and ultimately it, it, it kind of led to a pretty unhealthy place. And um, I can just honestly say that tattooing for me was the salvation of getting me through uh, such an epic decision um, and kind of an epic like uh, situation to be in uh, being so far away from kind of what you, what you know to be just kind of normal, you know? Yeah. You know, you said something there that I, I I think is real important here. Um, You know, when I, when I kind of tease it out like that, well, you did all this touring, you, you take this huge leap. You said, yeah, it was all part of the plan. And there's that idea of, like, especially from people who come from the punk and hardcore scene are like, oh yeah, I'm just going to do this thing and I'm going to figure it out and it's going to happen. So it was just part of the plan. And I'm really, that kind of thinking has become something that I'm just like, I want to chase down. I want to understand it because it's such a punk attitude. Like, oh yeah. I mean, it's part of the plan. I I grew up in New Zealand, but yeah, of course I'm going to move to Australia, take a band all over the world and then move to North America. What, why wouldn't I do that? People don't think like that, but that kind of like determination, having a vision, but then willing to take the risk. I love when you said it was part of the plan. 
Then you get to North America and you get into this dark side. So you said tattooing really helped get you through there. What did you learn about yourself, like both the good and the challenging through that, through that experience? I mean, it, it sounds, it sounds kind of dark, but I, I, I learned that I can only really rely on myself. Mm. You know, I, can, I only have myself to, to blame or to count on or to, well, actually, that's not 100% true. We, you know, I, I definitely need to give credit to, to, to some people that did help us, you know, once, you know, after moving here, for sure. But ultimately, that kind of wears off, you know, it's, it's real life. It's not, you know, you, you can stay on someone's floor for, you know, a month or someone's couch for a few days. But, but really, the, the plan has to be bigger than that and bigger than you, you know. Um, so really the, the, the tattoo thing, you know, for me, it was, I don't, I don't know if it was an equal part in my decision to move here because the band and music was definitely a priority. Um, I'm definitely a team player, 100%. And I, I love camaraderie and I love the, you know, all for one kind of spirit. I just don't process it well when it, that kind of breaks down. And to me, learning skills over the years um, within bands or, or learning lessons from that and, and kind of applying that to business or to, to other stuff that I've done has been very valuable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely clarified a lot. And, you know, it's not until I do things like this that I look back on those days and just really I'm, I'm, I'm sort of made more aware of how, crazy the decision to move really was <laughs> so you know thinking about the other guys i i kind of um not forgive them you know what i mean because they didn't do anything wrong everybody was just trying to fight through this thing but um i just i just understand a little more mm-hmm. um and uh ultimately i'm just very grateful for, for tattooing and uh and the people that kind of helped us and helped me kind of get through it did the band fade away or did it, it self-destruct? Oh, it completely blew up. Yeah, it completely blew up. And we, you know, we, Dear and Departed was the band after that. And we tried to salvage, you know, uh, salvage the band with going in, you know, a, a new sort of direction. But it was ultimately like four other people kind of just left to, to scramble and, and pick up the pieces of, of that ending, you know, um, just wondering if it was all for nothing and wondering like, wow, we've, we've sacrificed so much and there's been so much, you know, blood, sweat and tears. And now what, you know? So again, it was just a highly sort of reflective time to be like, well, we came all this way. We can't just turn around and go home. And some people did, you know? Um, but to me, I'd literally given up everything, you know, like it was, it, it wasn't really an option. Well, and you, you said something, you know, it was like kind of dark to, to realize like you can only count on yourself. And, you know, of course, you, there were some people that for sure you could, you could count on. But at the end of the day, you're responsible for yourself, how you process things, how you handle things. And what you're saying there is like, you know, failing is not an option here. I'm not going to give up. Mm. Is it a dark thing to learn that about yourself or is it liberating in, in kind of a sad way? Well, I think it's, that's the age old, you know it's like the, 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 the Buddhist outlook, right? It's like when it's happening, if you have the insight to say like, this is happening for a reason and this is like, great. But unfortunately, uh, 
I don't think I'd learned that or, or appreciated that back then. And it was just pure chaos. So, um, you know, it, it was a, you know, fight and flight kind of situation. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, looking back does come with a lot of very, very strange feelings, you know, and, and it's, it's kind of easier to say that now, like, well, we did all this crazy stuff and, and whatever, but yeah, it, it did, it did affect me in a pretty big way back then. Um, I sort of need to stress as well, like you touched on it briefly, but when you grow up in a country so far away, I mean, New Zealand is a lot smaller than Australia and I moved to Australia, you know, to do more of what, what I loved, you know, whether it was tattooing or music, it was a bigger country, more cities to play, uh, more people to play to, more people to tattoo, you know, it's, it's, it, it made a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. But when you grow up in such a small country, like you said, um, how punk or hardcore is very sort of North American centric. You try coming from New Zealand and everything you look, you look outside of New Zealand for everything. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like even at that point, sort of mid to late nineties touring Australia was, was kind of a crazy thing, you know, mm -hmm. like no, no other bands really did it. Um, then. So it was, um, I sort of need to stress how, you know, the pressure that sort of comes with, um, always looking outside of your own country for something that apparently is, is, is better or bigger, you know, and it, it, it's, it's given me later in life, a huge appreciation for where I come from. Mm. Um, you know, so it, it does come with a, a really sort of um, intense uh, train of thought always, you know, like there's, there's an enthusiasm that I feel like I never gave up, which I'm really glad about. Um, and it's, it's kind of more come out in this uh, new band that I'm in, Sharp Shock, mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, you know, the, the other members on paper kind of have a, a very similar, um, you know, story as me. And it's, it's one of those things where we just really value everything. You know, we mm -hmm. value the shows greatly. We value being able to go to the house that Kirk Cobain lived when we were in Seattle five times just because it's so far away from where we're from. You know what I mean? And, and it's, I know it's stuff that people do take for granted over here. And um, I'm, I, I love that I still sort of have that enthusiasm, but uh, it, it's sort of, it has come at a, at a cost, you know? Yeah. Well, and, you know, so much stuff that you're saying I relate to. So I grew up in, uh, in Calgary, Alberta, you know, kind of like sort of the middle of Canada. And it was cool. Like, I mean, you know, I had a, a lot of good experiences growing up in Calgary and then a lot of like real dark and like real nasty ones too. But I'd say um, growing up and always thinking everything cool comes from somewhere else really set up like a weird thinking in my head where it was like everything is better elsewhere and not feeling settled. Like you always had to be somewhere else. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things that I've really worked on as, a, as an adult is like now, like, you know, Vancouver is sick. Like I love Vancouver and I love um, what I've been able to be a part of here and the community I get to be a part of and the things that I get to either build for myself or, or join that other people have built. And, um, you know, I remember especially coming up this like deep desire to be part of something else that was pre-existing somewhere else. And like, I want to be a part of that. And I think that like, I actually think that actually like messed with me a lot, uh, both as a musician and also as a, um, business person, because the sense of like, everything is cooler elsewhere or everything is someone else's design who knows more. And it really created this sense of kind of like 
compromising to be part of someone else's thing. And, you know, a lot of what has drawn me to, to what you do is there seems to be this decision to not compromise, you know, to, to kind of do what you want to do the way that you want to do it. And luckily the way you want to do it, or maybe not luckily, maybe by design, it's just something that, you know, people are drawn to. So that brings me, I want to talk about tattooing. Like, I'd love to hear about how you got your start, start in that. Well, um, again, I, I just kind of dived into it. You know, I um, was lucky to, you know, tattooing has complemented punk and hardcore forever. And uh, the scene in, in New Zealand, um, sort of the mid to late 90s was very close. And there was, you know, the token uh, tattoo artist, Dean from Sacred Tattoo, who when I met him and, and he did my first tattoo, which was the descendants, I don't want to grow up Milo on my leg uh, in, a, in a kitchen of the, you know, stereotypical punk hardcore house mm-hmm. um, where a bunch of older, older guys kind of lived. And I was the younger kid, me and my friends were the, you know, the group of younger kids that were kind of just biting at their heels. Um, to me that I was, it was just such a, a, a situation that felt so right. Mm-hmm. Um, to have a role model like Dean and, um, and have both worlds sign, uh, you know, kind of collide in, in the way that it did was just the ultimate inspiration, enthusiasm, drive, you know, it was, it, it was everything. So again, New Zealand was very small. The, the studio that he had was uh, very small and appointment only. I, I knew that it wasn't really a place that uh, he could sort of just give me a job or, or, you know, it, that wasn't really going to work. Um, and it, uh, so I worked really hard to basically just get tattooed every week, you know, from the age of, I mean, definitely 18 or younger. It was just, uh, I had a, a standing appointment every Friday and I would work very, very hard delivering uh, overalls and towels and rags and, you know, mats and stuff to these businesses and mechanics and and uh, body shops and stuff just to be able to get to the tattoo shop. So in my head, getting tattooed was the biggest, um, you know, sort of inspiration and education that I could ask for at that time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to, I didn't, I was nervous, you know, I was nervous to even let him know that I, I wanted to do it because, you know, tattooing, especially down there was, was a very serious thing. And there were a lot of dark sides to it and serious people involved in it when you're just a punk kid it's 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 hard to navigate so um i will be forever grateful for his help and uh and influence on my life mm-hmm. um but the the music thing kind of took me away um to australia as i said and um then it was kind of time to to jump into a different a different pool you know and and luckily the the whole punk thing kind of you know, made it possible for me to, to, to get into a shop. Um, there was a great guy called ship, uh, from South Australia, from Adelaide in the town, like again, token, token punk tattoo artist. And, you know, we just clicked and, and he, he really looked out for me. So he, he, uh, you know, is a huge part to my start in tattooing. Um, and I worked super hard for two and a half years there and then, and then ended up moving to California. So, um, during the touring that I did over the early 2000s, because tattooing is so close knit with punk and hardcore, I met, you know, I met 
the same people that I've, you know, that I, I was lucky to meet in New Zealand and Australia mm. in every city in America and, and Canada too, you know? Um, so Jim Miner from Death by Stereo, he was a huge help to me and, and really, um, he said some things to me that have always stuck with me. Um, and he just gave me that extra boost of like confidence that I kind of needed to, you know, for the, for the, the cogs to kind of turn and go, well, wow, like maybe moving to America is a, a thing that I can do. You know, like if I was on the fence with it before having someone like him say to me, Hey, I love your stuff. I'm going to make sure that you have a chair in every shop that I'm in, you know, or whatever shop I'm working in, I, I, you know, you, you'll be able to work there. No problem. Then that just kind of opens the door, you know, and back then you, you didn't, you didn't really need much of a push, but it was huge to me um, to know that hey, if everything turns, turns sour, I'm still going to have that. I'm still going to have my own thing. This is my relationship with this person. Um, and, and he's looking out for me. So ultimately when it came time to, to really decide, I was thinking of the, the, you know, the relationships that I had met through tattooing, through touring, you know, and, 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 you know, driving all day and playing a show and then ending up at a, a local tattoo shop till, you know, three or four in the morning was, was a totally normal thing, you know, and it's, 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 it's then when you make those relationships that you kind of carry with you forever. And it's such a unique thing. And, and like you said before, it's like most people don't think that way and don't, they don't really think that that's a normal thing. But if you're in the punk and hardcore scene, you do, you know, and luckily now there are so many people yourself included that have come from punk and hardcore that are doing these amazing things that, you know, have carried that same sort of, you know, education or, or, or that same sort of like ethical and, and motivational push from the beginning to, to get them where they want to be. And ultimately they're just doing what they wanted to do, you know, wanted to do and, and they're where they feel most secure or safe or right, you know? Mm. Um, so I think, you know, the, the, the global sort of uh, network of friends doing great things to me is something I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of and also something that I feel obligated to sort of keep contributing to. Um, yeah. When I, you know, when I started thinking about opening my own shop, it was like, great, I've toured and traveled everywhere and forever. And now I get my clubhouse, you know, like yeah. now I get my spot um, that those bands who are playing a chain reaction or are playing wherever can actually come before the show or after the show. And I can tattoo them instead of, me doing it backstage somewhere or me doing it in, you know, some shitty place that I end up living, you know, for a few months, you know? So, so yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Hey, I want to hit on the relationship part. Uh, this is a, an interesting thing. So like, you know, let's say any business person listening to this would be like, well, yeah, of course relationships are important. It's a different thing to have, to be from somewhere again, like you say, like New Zealand, you know, basically your reputation, the way you carry yourself, your consistency, the kinds of relationships you build. That's the difference between someone saying, oh yeah, of course you can come stay with me for a month and yeah, yeah I'll, I'll hook you up. I'll help you find a job and, you know, get you on your feet. It's the difference between that versus someone saying like, oh no, sorry, man, I, I can't do that for you. You've literally been able to move across the globe based on friendships built in brief conversations at hardcore shows or punk shows or tattoo shops. 
So tell me about that. Like, tell me about that value of relationships for you about like what you've been able to do in your life. Ultimately, I think it comes back to the, the feeling that you get growing up in a small place, being super proud of what you've built in that small place. And then when people from outside of that place can come in and, and value it too, it, it bridges the gap completely, you know, and between uh, the older guys who I said were, you know, living at the house that I got first tattooed at, uh, traveling um, and bands coming down or, or just punk and hardcore kids coming down to New Zealand, you know, you feel that obligation to be the hosts, you know, like when you're at the bottom of the world, you're like, this, this is what we do. You know, we'll go and jump off cliffs and we'll go and see, you know, thermal geysers and bubbling mud and we'll, you know, take people who come from, you know, New York city to an untouched beach and a, and a rock that you can jump off, you know? And it's like, having having that is a super special thing you know and it's it's something that you can't do by booking a uh you know a, a trip on a tourist website or a you know what i mean there's no brochures for it you know so me and my friends always you know really thought that that was very important and you know knowing that those people would end up going back to new york and, and we could hopefully potentially one day go and visit and have a place to at least just stay that was that was everything and um and that's what happened. You know, the, some of the, the older guys in the late nineties, I think 97, 98, there was three friends who moved to New York and they all ended up doing these amazing things. You know, our, our friend Ben ended up playing drums for Snapcase and uh, Reese ended up playing in Roger from Agnostic Front's band, The Disasters. And, and Lawrence ended up sort of roadieing for sick of it all and, and all this stuff. And when you're a kid from the bottom of the world, those bands are literally everything. So to have that connection to them, and go like, okay, not only are we just a fan of the music and not only have we seen them play, it's like, we're, we're going to go to dinner with them. Like we're going to, you know, like, like Ben plays drums in Snapcase now, like what on earth? Like, so it just kind of blows anything out of the water of any doubt that you had is gone, you know, because mm -hmm. it, it's possible. So to me, those guys were the inspiration as well. And being so close to home, whether it was you know, bands that they played in or Dean with his tattooing and, and tattoo shop and what he built. I'm like, man, I don't need anything else. I just need to contribute. I just need to do me, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, man. And, and like that, what you just said there, that's like what I, it hits exactly what I, I believe, you know, the willingness to dream about something is one thing. Like anyone can dream, but that, yeah, like that drive to be like, oh no, I'm going to go do this thing and do it but you can only do it if you have like an open heart and you have, can build relationships and one of the coolest things about punk and hardcore that i think everyone can say is it's like you know you go city to city country to country and you meet these people who are willing to open up their lives to you but also tending those relationships well like not treating people as disposable and like a stepping stone to something but like maintaining those relationships if you have like a dream and the willingness to pursue it, like with vigor and, and a plan and you have no doubt in yourself and you can tend those relationships, there's literally nothing that's impossible to you. You can, and of course it could lead you to playing a snap case or roading with sick at all, or, you know, doing these cool things, but it also can lead you into like crazy places, like doing all sorts of really cool things um, to any level. And, you know, it's, I just think it's like one of the most important things that playing in punk bands and being part of this culture is, is really vital for all of us 
but also about how you apply those things to your life and the greater world around you and what you can really do with it. Um, so I want to ask you about some more kind of challenging things. Um, so, uh, you know, after you started tattooing in, in L.A. and you were in the Dear and Departed and you were playing music, eventually you ended up on uh, L.A. Inc. You were on a TV show for a number of years. And how many years was that? So I, I worked in Kat's shop for about five years. Mm -hmm. um, she was somebody who I met um, in a shop that I worked at really soon after moving here. Mm -hmm. And this is before she even did the Miami show. Um, you know, she's a, a huge music fan, an amazing tattooer, someone who just works incredibly hard. And um, she did the Miami stuff and um, we kept in touch, you know, and, and, and it was kind of in a, a lull for me musically where stuff wasn't, wasn't good. It wasn't healthy. I was, um, you know, I, I said before where I was kind of like all systems go, like all for one, one for all. And tattooing was always my, my co-pilot, but it was never the priority. And it was at a time where I was really starting to think like, maybe I should kind of pour a little more into tattooing. And, you know, it just kind of all happened at the right time. And, and she kind of said like, Hey, I'm coming back to LA. I'm going to be opening my own shop and doing my own show. And I want you to be there. And at first I was just like, I was kind of thinking, you know, maybe I should kind of concentrate more on tattooing and, you know, maybe just kind of focus on me a little bit more rather than the band, because it was, as you know, being in a band is, is, is so difficult at the best of times. And the amount of time that you can kind of really enjoy being in a band uh, compared to either the driving or the late nights or the 10 people in a hotel room or the, you know, whatever it, it, it's, it can, it can weigh on you when you're thinking about a bigger picture. Um, but I, but I was really grateful um, that she gave me that opportunity but I did kind of let it slide, you know, and it wasn't until a few months later, she kind of said, Hey, like, are you, are you going to come here or what? Like, are you going to do this? And I was like, that was what I needed. And I'm like, you know what? I, I should, um, I actually spent a lot of time in Canada because we had the, the, the whole visa, the visa fiasco every six months or eight months to try and renew, uh, for, for a year, you know, and, and I had that job of, of renewing everything, which was difficult, you know, cause we, we weren't a huge band and, being able to prove that we were worthy of another visa extension, you know, five times was, was difficult, but ultimately I ended up, you know, saying, yes, uh, I, I want to work. And that was obviously the biggest opportunity. They were filming uh, season one and two at that point. Um, so I was there during all the filming of season two uh, amongst the cameras and stuff in the background and then season three came around and she was like, Hey, we, I, I want you to be on the show. And I'm like, Oh my God, I never in my wildest <laughs> dreams would think that this, this would be on my plate right now. But um, honestly, thinking back to where I'm from, you know, that opportunity was given to me, nobody else, you know, so I have the obligation to make that decision about it. And I looked at it as, almost, I, I looked at it as that, an obligation to, to rip where I'm from, what I, what I know, what I love. You know, I made the decision to wear band shirts every episode purely because I knew how big that platform was. And I wanted to, I wanted to give back, you know what I mean? That was my way of being like, you know, on one hand, okay, I'm going to tackle this crazy thing of cameras in your face for 12 hours a day. And and the most awkward situations I've ever been in in my life. 
but to me it was like hey no one no one can say anything man like this is your opportunity and you have the obligation you have to do it mm-hmm. and that's kind of how i've tackled a lot of the bigger sort of opportunities i've gotten or, or, or those not tough decisions but decisions where you're like wow this is drifting into the world that i never thought i would be in you know i didn't get tattoos to talk to the old lady at the supermarket you know i i got tattoos to go the other way you know mm-hmm. that I, I wanted to be in the box of our world and be comfortable there and be like this is our world and nobody understands and you'll never understand you know mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it's being broadcast to the world and it's like i have to, i have to step up and i have to explain myself I, you know i have to say who i am and why i feel these things and i'm i'm on you know i'm on national tv saying you know i want a vegan hot dog instead of a, a normal one when there's a, a you know a, an episode where there's a food truck that rolls up to the shop you know stupid stuff like that but you're like wow like there's really a lesson in all that stuff and to me i i, I kind of felt like it was my duty to to really step up and just do it and take the bull by the horns and, and jump in all right, man. So you're hitting on two things that I, I, I am just fascinated about. And I remember clearly thinking about one of these things um, while the show was on. So the first one uh, that I hadn't thought of, and I, I, I really think this is a, a very cool thing that you brought up. You're offered these opportunities in your life. And it's not like you were just like blindly offered these things. Like, you know, you'd worked hard. You were a guy that people like liked and respected. You built good, you know, good reputation. You played in cool bands. So things weren't just handed to you. But when you get an opportunity, I really like when you said, I viewed it as an obligation for every other kid from my country. I need to rep this for them because it's being offered to me and I need to, I need to show up not just for myself, but for everyone else. I think that's one of the coolest things that anyone said, uh, certainly on this podcast. But I, I, like, as soon as you said that, I was like, damn, like, that's an incredible way of viewing it. Um, every kid in your country from the punk scene must have been like, that's like super psyched when you when you did that and felt like wow that guy's rapping for us so that i just want to acknowledge i think that's such a cool way of looking at that and a real interesting way of of taking on a challenge well thanks oh sorry go on do you want to say something about that well i just i i didn't even want it to mean like it was limited to to just my country where i'm from it was it was thing you know it was basically a as you know it's it's more a, a worldwide sort of connected scene or viewpoint that i wanted mainstream viewers to to be aware of you know like the reason i wore an earth crisis shirt on the show was so young kids who were a fan of my tattoos or maybe even fans of just music in general go oh what what is that shirt i'm gonna look that band up you know what i mean and it's to me that was the inspiration that i had when i was a lot younger from okay so bands just wearing t-shirts on their record covers or something. And to me, it was like, okay, now I have this platform. You sure as hell better like rep it. And you sure as hell better fly that flag for, for the good stuff and try to make, you know, ultimately, like you said, I was just doing what I know. But to me, I was very much aware of where, of, of this, the scale of it and where it would end up. And when, you know, I got a huge response from whoever, hardcore kids, punk kids, you know, other tattooers that I was wearing their shirts and stuff like that. I was just like, yeah, man, like this is, this is using a very strange platform of reality TV, which 
before that, I mean, I'm still not a fan of reality TV. You know what I mean? It's not something I'm like, you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm using it for good. And I, I just feel like that that's, yeah, like you said, it's, it's important to sort of never forget like where, where you come from, you know? Well, so the second thing I want to touch on that um, I definitely thought of, uh, so, you know, you and I, really are just interacting for the first time on this podcast. I, I, you know, we'd been friends of friends throughout years. Um, so when I heard you were going to be on the show, I was like, wow, I had never watched the show. I was like, oh, I got to check this out. And uh, I remember thinking at the time, whew, that's a huge responsibility to be kind of repping a, a culture on TV, especially like a counterculture. And, you know, whenever people have done like documentaries on, let's say, straight edge, or, you know, people like write articles. I always kind of roll my eyes. It's like, listen, no matter what, if you are a straight edge kid and someone's doing a documentary on straight edge, they're going to make you look like a buffoon because mm -hmm. they have to play up the worst side of things to make it entertaining. And, you know, I, I really dislike stuff like that in general. I, I thought going on that show was an interesting move because tattoos are like, I don't know. I mean, at this point, they're very widely accepted. But, you know, when I grew up and when you grew up, they were seriously counterculture, like really counterculture. And I remember getting my first tattoo, which was like on my forearm. It could have easily been covered up. And like my mom saying, like, you're never going to have a job. Like you've ruined your life. So it, it had, they have become more accepted and they did go a circle on TV. But I remember thinking for you specifically, it's like, wow, I wonder what kind of pressure he must feel to like represent the culture in a way he feels comfortable about both tattooing and like punk and hardcore. Cause that, that was part of your like storyline of the show is like kind of, you know, just who you are as a, as a guy and a musician. So what was that like for you to kind of have to, I mean, I don't even know if you thought of that, if that was the thing you thought about at all, but that, that definitely played on my mind when you were on the show. I can tell you that I've thought about every single thing <laughs> possible during that time. I mean, you know, it was, it was before Instagram, but it was when Twitter was, I think, had just started. And I'd gotten, I don't know, 100,000 followers, I think, in a, in, a, in a couple of weeks or something. <laughs> and it was, it was just, I was just thrown to the wolves. You know mm. what I mean? It, they, the show definitely tried to paint me as the, probably like the cocky rock guy, you know? Um, but I, Man, I fought with the producers and the show to include people that I knew needed that spotlight. Mm -hmm. You know, ultimately before that, it was a, it was basically a, a memorial show. You know, everybody would come in and get a, a portrait of someone who they've loved who, who's passed on, you know, or a pet. And it was a sob story and it was ultimately the same, the same kind of story time and time again, you know, and I was like, you know what, what I'm going to fight to put on musicians, writers, actors, uh, artists, anyone who I know. I mean, it doesn't even matter. Anyone who I know that I knew had come from struggle or, or, or a bad place or, or a place that, you know, the, the odds were really against them. I'm going to, I want to tell their story. So I kind of did that. And um, the feedback that I got, from people who picked up on that was really cool and, mm. and, and, and made it very worthwhile to me mm. um, and kind of gave like a bit of a new lease on life to the show. I feel, you know, I, um, 
I didn't have some master plan. I was just like, no, I've got it. I've just got to do what I know. And it kind of worked, you know, but, but man, it came with the biggest um, mental hurdles to jump, you know, like I, I wasn't equipped. I didn't know how to process a lot of it. And, and looking back now, it's like, man, I wish that I could do that now knowing what I knew, knew then Mm. because TV and, and especially reality TV, it's an awful thing, you know, like, <laughs> like the, 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 you know, when the producers are literally out for one thing, mm-hmm. it's a fight to try to get 20% of what, you know, needs to be on the show. Yeah. So from, from them cutting and pasting audio of stuff that you've said in different conversations mm-hmm. and, and not, and not showing your lips moving and, and that whole thing it's a weird thing to get your head around going like, wow, this, you know, they're they're really trying to paint a picture of me that that really kind of isn't me. Um, I kind of learned really quickly how to, how to navigate that. And luckily I had cat on my side when it came to that, that kind of thing Um, that, you know, we we were really going to try to keep the the bullshit to just a minimum, you know? Mm. So how long were you on the show? Um, I did, I did two seasons, which one of them was a long season. So, yeah, I, I was there for five years and uh, the, the filming lasted like a year and a half or something like that. Mm. Uh, I continued to work in, in, in the shop afterwards and, you know, I, de- I decided to call it a day with the band and just really knuckle down and just, and just put everything into tattooing. I was very, very um, busy with traveling for conventions and, and that kind of thing. I mean, the show definitely made it, the show changed everything for me. You know, it, it really did. It, it made it possible to be flown around the world and crazy stuff like that and put up at hotels and, and appearance fees and stuff. And to me, that was just insane. But again, I was like, man, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. You know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm in the hot seat. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna say yes and do it all, you know, and I would get, you know, it's crazy. I would get to meet up with all these people that I'd met through, playing, you know, little punk shows and stuff. And, and, and they would come and see me at these things. And it was just kind of crazy. But um, right. yeah, you know, definitely, definitely grateful for all of it. But you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And I, I want to say that I've definitely learned a lot since then. But dealing with it at the time was, was pretty huge. It was it was tough. Okay, so a lot of our conversations been leading up to questions about success. And, you know, I don't want to put that term on you. You play with it however you want. Um, sometimes people are really uncomfortable being referred to as successful. Uh, when I say success, when I, you know, think about you, man, you've just, you've had a really cool career. You've done what you wanted to do with music. You put your heart into it. And, you know, you were able to put records out and tour and see the world. You've been able to, you know, pursue your art, your tattooing. You've been successful. You've been on a TV show. You navigated that. I felt, you know, quite well. So from my perspective, when I was thinking about doing an episode on success, you're the first person that popped into my mind because there's an other side of success. And that's actually what I want to ask you about. Uh, But first, the question I want to ask you is for yourself, not for anyone else, but for yourself, how do you define success? So to me, success is being fulfilled by the things that make you happy and being able to live by doing those things. Mm. Um, I think, you know, 
it's there's a lot of pressure that comes from climbing and climbing and climbing and there was a time where i was really focused on i've got to climb you know i've got to climb to the top and 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 then i would be i would be reminded of this like well, what's the top like what the top of what you know what i mean like as long as, and, and you know there's been different times in my life where i've been very overwhelmed with stuff and it's you know it's all been stuff that i've kind of loved to do so 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 that then that comes a different question for yourself it's like well what makes you happy mm. you know it's like you could be on tour for six months trying to climb climb what up in the bill on a on a, on a flyer is that where you want to be is that going to make you happier than what you are now mm. or, or are you doing this to play for 30 minutes or 45 minutes on on the stage and i i kind of realized that as long as i can do what i love that's the true definition to me of, of success as long as i'm not on the street begging for people to come and get tattooed or you know what i mean um you know as, as long as people aren't you know berating my band every time they see us like i've got to be doing something kind of right you know and and to me that that brought a happiness so yeah i mean you know when you do things like open a shop or or, or start businesses there are a lot of pressures that a lot of people who aren't in those situations kind of have no idea about you know so mm -hmm. it's interesting when you think about that because i feel like understanding skills or learning skills to deal with certain aspects of business or certain aspects of doing things that most people maybe wouldn't they're they're really important and i kind of figured that out a little later than i should have should mm -hmm. have i know that but to answer your question yeah I, as long as long as i'm happy doing what i love to me that's success okay when your life started to change so you know you certainly like built up your career but as you mentioned when uh you did la inc for those uh, those two seasons your you know things really changed for you was there ever a point where the success that came from that or what people might appear uh, when it might appear to other people as being success is there is there anything that came along with that that made you unhappy um yes the assumption with reality tv especially you know like i said they they paint a certain kind of picture and it's broadcast to such a wide array of people that you can't get around the fact that some people are going to assume one thing and other people are going to assume another so to me doing things like live appearances or, or conventions and still wanting to be completely connected to people and and not be the you know oh the reality the quote-unquote reality tv star that's on the stage you know judging something at a, at a tattoo convention like I, i'm never like that's not me at all but a conversation is very important when you realize that there's so many different kinds of people watching you and they get a different interpretation that kind of messes with you a little bit because it just requires you to navigate that in a different way you know if you're in a if you're at a punk show you can you know everybody's pretty much there for the same reason you know if if some people show up that don't really aren't really used to it or are about something else they stand out like a sore thumb you know in the real world that that's that's not the case mm. you know so um the assumption is probably the one thing that was a little more difficult to deal with but but then again it's 
it's just about kind of reminding myself, I, I know who I am. I know where I come from. Mm. Uh, no one's, no one's been in my shoes, you know? So it, if anything, it's just taking, um, taking comfort in knowing that, you, you know, as long as you're true to yourself, that's, that's all that matters really. Yeah. You know, and that's an interesting thing. Cause like, it's easy to judge. It's hard to do. And, you know, I've found a lot of people who are successful, they struggle a lot with people externally kind of in like, that person's like this, or they should have been like that, or they should have done this. It's like, damn, well, you don't know, like, you don't know what my day-to-day pressures are, like how I have to manage things, the things that came at me, like the offers I got that I turned down, like, you don't know, you don't know what that's about. And I would say the more successful people that I've met and that I've interacted with, probably the biggest struggle they've had, the two that they've had is really learning to trust themselves despite outward criticism and being able to manage their relationships and how their relationships changed. So that's the next question I want to ask you is, you know, the more successful that you've become, especially after you were on TV and like really your whole profile changed after that in in a lot of ways, did that impact your relationships at all? It it did. Um, I think, you know, like I've talked about two different worlds, like one was tattooing, one was music, you know, and a lot of the time they, they overlap, but sometimes they really don't. And uh, I, I think when, I, I don't know, I think as soon as anyone gets an opportunity like mainstream TV, they feel instantly disconnected from you. You know, there are definitely people in my life that were just flying my flag and, and, and super behind me. But there's, there's an, another sort of, maybe friends of friends or, or, or friends that you don't really see that often who now feel like, Oh, well that's, he's doing this now. Like, and, and maybe they don't think that you've completely changed, but it's just like, Oh, I don't know if he's going to have time for me anymore. Mm. You know? And it, it's, you know, dealing with a schedule and, and, and I'm completely guilty of, of at the best of times having, a crazy schedule and being completely overwhelmed. I, I realize that now, and especially after the last few months um, of just being able to take a, a mandatory, you know, break and really kind of figure it out, which I'm actually very, very grateful for. But yeah, it's, it, it was weird. It was weird. Um, just kind of learning of certain people that just think that because you've changed or not, not, not changed as a person, but changed as far as schedule or, or, or just, uh, you know, your, your daily, uh, your daily schedule that it means you're a different person. And, um, the amount of times that I've sort of reconnected with people and heard them say like, Oh man, you're just the same old, same old Dan or whatever, you know, like, what, what did you expect? Like, I don't know. Just dealing with people's, you know, perception of, of what you're doing as opposed to be, you know, like you said, being the person that's actually doing it. Yeah. Um, so in that, like, did you ever experience any levels of, you know, people feeling any unease or resentment or jealousy or anything like that? Or was it, or were most people like pretty comfortable with it? Well, when you, when you're talking about social media, um, that that's a whole new, uh, kettle of fish. You know what I mean? Like I said, the whole Twitter thing, uh, I was kind of thrown to the wolves and, and kind of uh, labeled as this, you know, Traditional tattooer, which, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of traditional tattoos. I do a lot more than that and always have. Mm-hmm. But I was labeled as that guy on the show. Um, it, it's weird, even though on the show, I wasn't doing just traditional tattoos. But um, it's all about education, I feel like, right? Like when, when that net is sort of thrown out, 
to that amount of people and, and that sort of diversity. There's people that have a very strong understanding of it and take everything to heart and, and just live and die by this one thing. And then there's people that have an opinion based on maybe what their friend told them or, you know, like a, a very, you know, loose opinion on what something is. So mm-hmm. education inside these genres or, or, or you know, because it, it applies to punk and hardcore as well. You know, it's, it's the age old thing of like, that isn't punk. You know what he's doing? <laughs> that, that band isn't punk. Like, listen, you know, and it's like, okay, we're going to have that conversation, you know, and it's, I felt that on social media for sure. It was nothing that I really took to heart or, or even paid a lot of attention to at all. But it was like, oh, that tattoo he did totally sucked. And that's not, you know, that's not traditional. He didn't use that that version of the red that he's supposed to use or, you know, whatever. So, um, you know, closer to home, um, a little bit, a little bit. But I think, as, as you might know, I think whenever you kind of take a leap of faith or really try to, you know, push in a certain direction, you're always going to feel that. You're always going to get that from people, you know, and ultimately that comes down to their either perception or, or, or insecurity. You know, um, you know, when I was younger, I, I didn't want to change. I didn't want to, I, you know, I was, I was content. I'd found everything that made me feel normal in a very abnormal world, you know, and I loved that, you know, and, and I loved that I found that in different countries. And it wasn't until I was put on this different platform that I'm like, oh man, yeah, like this is, this is the real world and I have to deal with this stuff. So I think, you know, coming from where we both come from, it's, it's, it's easy to sit back and kind of poke a stick at everything and say like, oh, well, this is that and this isn't that. And like, oh, okay, well, what's happening? You know, but if you're the person doing it, you're in a much different seat. Absolutely. You know, and that leads us to, you know, some of my, what I think are some of the most valuable questions that I could ask you here is um, there's two, two things I want to ask you about. So I want to start with as you've become more successful, and I, I don't just mean from, you know, the, the, the TV show, but, you know, from, from your first early successes all the way to, to opening your own shop and what you're doing today, how have you changed? Wow. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Um, well, I think when I opened the shop, I think that was a huge turning point for me because up until then I was taking what I knew and what I loved with me places. And I, I didn't have a home base and I didn't have something that could be part of a community and part of a scene or a greater scene or, you know, whatever, a worldwide tattoo scene that's visible to people, you know? So there was a lot of learning that came with that. And I think, you know, I, I put music aside, you know, from, from when I opened the shop, um, for a few years and it was kind of crazy because I would sit in the shop and I'd be tattooing people and, I, you know, a lot of my clientele is, is music related. Um, I tattoo a lot of people in bands or who tour or road crew or are involved in some way. Or, or even if I'm not, it's people who want band logos and art, you know, art that is from bands and, and record covers and stuff, which to me is, is the greatest thing because that's exactly what I wanted to do when I was 13 years old. So, um, but I longed to be in a band and it gave me the time to really kind of figure it out and go, okay, you got to move forward. You can't make the same mistakes again. You can't do what you did again. 
and and I'm older. I'm a lot older. You know, I just I turned 40. You know, like a few months back. So it's like I've been married 11 years. You know, there's huge life changes that have happened that mean you can't be a 16 year old in a van or 20 year old in a van just trying to get to the next show. Um, so have I changed a lot? Yes. Have I been very enthusiastic to learn a lot more about myself? Yes. Have I been enthusiastic to apply those things that I've learned to my life and try to better everything? Yes. And, um, honestly, it's, it's been really cool. It's been a really cool process. It, uh, more recently, man, like e- e- even in the last like couple of years, you know, and, and honestly, uh, you, you did a, a podcast with our friend Ray um, that I listened to and I, I texted you about it. You know, I said like, man, you, you said some stuff that I 100% connected with and you said it in a way that I really haven't heard before that has made that much of an impact to me. You know, I know there's a, a ton of similarities between me and you and, and I'm like, man, this is so rad that I can take this away from something that you've done and you've worked hard at. And, you know, we, we, we could have done it on the phone, but the fact is, you, you know, I listen to your podcast and that's your thing and you're making changes to so many different people. And, and one of those people is me. And I was like, that's so rad. That just, that just really solidifies that everything that I wanted to do or, or, the, or, or the, just the view that I had was right. And everything that I kind of needed to, to take in, I'm still getting inspired by, or I'm still, I still take so much value in. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate that. And uh, you know, it's one of the things that like, part of the reason I, I started this podcast, you know, I want to interview, like we interview all sorts of different kinds of professionals, but one of the things that I have felt a real need for as I get, you know, older and, you know, my career develops and the company develops, I just want to talk to, I want to talk to other punks that have done some cool stuff and I want to learn from them you know like again you've just said some stuff today that's really like really really resonated with me especially when you said getting handed off like getting opportunities but like the obligation of that and how serious you take that like I hadn't really thought of it that way and as soon as you said that and then you later on you also like and it's not just about where I grew up it's also about like for every like every punk kid and every tattoo kid like anyone who'd come from that like I have an obligation to take this it really that landed with me in a way that really stands out because my job and what I do and and the places I get to walk are not necessarily understood by everybody that knows me, but I get to do some pretty neat stuff in the business world. And so uh, you gave me some good focus there. Yeah, of course. So when you're dealing, like just touching on that, when you're dealing with a world that is very, very different to how we grew up, right? Like Mm -hmm. you, you do a lot of stuff in the corporate world. Is there still a part of you that goes, you will never understand me? Like I'm, I'm a kid who you don't understand me or, or are you 100% excited to share those things that you learn and, and maybe learn that those kind of people in those situations can take away lessons that you've learned maybe from a very young age that they, they would have never learned? Like are, are you apprehensive in any way? Are you nervous when you're dealing in that world? Because a few things that I've done where I'm just like, man, I feel so weird right now. I feel like I'm just out of my element 100% and, and this person will never understand me. So I just wondered if there's any kind of any similarity with that, with what you do. Yeah, there is. And so it's both. Um, I am 
often delighted by how much people want. And that's, that's like what we built the company on is people want to hear what, uh, like a punk straight edge therapist has to say about stuff like who's got like heavy politics, like heavy left leaning politics. And that's, that's been something that I've been pleasantly surprised by that companies are like, Oh yeah. Like tell us exactly what you think. That's why we hire you instead of someone else. And that's been really cool where it has sucked is where I've been generally like really happy to find that like a lot of corporate and you know, like I'm, I work with like CEOs of like big, big companies. And I've found, I've been pleasantly surprised that most of them are like super cool and want to do better and want companies to be better. But the spaces where people are cartoonish, where they're actually like, oh, you wouldn't even see this on TV. I have had experiences like that where they're really rare, but when they happen, I'm like, oh man, there's some really bad stuff going on in the world. I mean, there's one experience where I had where I'll never forget it. There was uh, a leader, uh, like executive group, uh, CEO and, and his team. Um, and we were all, I was sitting in their meeting and the one female leader in the room gave this incredible presentation about diversity and inclusion. And, and like, she did this thing that very few people can do well was she, she was able to show how, like by investing in creating a truly like inclusive and diverse company, it was going to help raise profits and, and really had actually like strong calculations on there. And it was a really compelling and beautiful, wonderful presentation. I just saw a room of like six white dudes playing on their iPads, like looking at their phones, totally ignoring what she said. And I could see like literally like, holy crap, this is how racism exists. Like this is what happens in the world. And afterwards I was, remember I talked to that CEO and I totally confronted him and it was like, that was like one of the most like sexist things I've ever seen. Like, I really like, I, I hit him as a punk would hit him, you know? Like, I was like, what are you thinking? Like, that's like, I literally was like, I'm, I was embarrassed for you in that session. Like, what were you thinking acting like that? Yeah. Boom. I got fired. <laughs> I was like, get this clown out of here. But so I, that's been like the rare, do I rarely do I experience that? And by getting fired by that company, like, I mean, we lost a huge amount of money, but I will tell you this, man, I would, I'm psyched that I'm able to walk in the world and build up a company that can literally like help companies govern themselves better and manage themselves better. And that most people, if I hit them hard, they're going to be like, cool, like I needed to hear that. And for the odd person, that's like, you know, just a shitty leader. It's like, cool. It's you're a good company to get fired from. I'm glad I got fired from you. It's like getting kicked out of that shitty band. It's like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm glad I got kicked out of that. Yeah. 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 yeah that's been my favor. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah. I've often wondered, you know, because um, you know, I, during i mean since the since the show i've definitely met a lot of people that kind of want a lot of things from me and um some have uh have had less than honest intentions you know what i mean yeah. and so it's it's difficult to kind of navigate that stuff sometimes but well, i mean I, it's kind of easy to see but it's you know it's always kind of a a question of like okay well is this the best for me like could this be you know is there there's always going to be a lesson in it but is is this good for me in any way do I need to persevere through this thing or am I just wishing to get fired? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So this leads me to my last two questions. So the, the, the last one, and it's kind of the theme of the whole episode is if you were to really crystallize down to just a few salient lessons, what would you say across your career? What are the big lessons that you've learned through success? So the lessons, wow. Um, I think, you know, I, I've always been aware that I have a drive that a lot of people don't have. Um, and that's 
for that's that's good and bad you know and i think a lesson that i've learned is that having that kind of drive all the time is not healthy mm-hmm. you know I, i've learned that patience is definitely a you know a, a great thing to have when it comes to doing something right um as opposed to just getting it done you know like like the more things that are on your plate it doesn't mean like i'd rather do at this point in my life i'd rather do two things very very well than have 10 things on the boil and 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 kind of like yeah i did that and i kind of did that and this yeah this was kind of cool <laughs> like uh, but inside you know okay well you didn't you didn't give that your all you didn't do it justice and this could this could come down to something as small as a, a painting or a, an art project or you know a t-shirt design or something you know i've always kind of had pride in being able to be very productive very quickly and you know oh a band needs a t-shirt yeah I need, i'm gonna do that right now you know what i mean like yeah. i did it for toby the other day you know what i mean uh, but there's you know navigating more you know navigating where you want to get to creatively i think is very important and something i'm more aware of now i think there's a there's a cool honesty in just doing what you do but i think i've learned a lesson of take a little more time and learn a little more stuff about what you want to do if you want to draw it two or three times maybe draw it five times you know what i mean and and see the result and i know that that's been beneficial for me and um i've been more pleased with the outcome so yeah there's i think there's okay two or three lessons in there <laughs> no it's good dude like i mean i've heard so much stuff through this like a lot of it i i've just really heard is like know yourself like make peace with yourself know yourself trust yourself you have the right people around you and just be willing to follow your vision i've heard this throughout your whole your whole conversation i don't want to put words in your mouth but that's like what's really stood out for me um all right i got a last i got a very tough question for you i hope you're ready for this last one all right let's hear it top three sickest bands from new zealand and top three sickest bands from australia hardcore punk Okay, top three from New Zealand. This is this is an extremely tough one. Okay, I need to I need to mention that from a very very young age, there was a student radio station called ninety five BFM, and they are not solely responsible, but hugely responsible for an amazing musical education. That as a young kid, that that old, I should have never been exposed to. So. I, I've been meaning to get their little B logo tattooed forever. I look back at that time where I was working and, and driving all day in my van, picking up oily rags from mechanics, just listening to, to, to BFM all day. Um, there was a, 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 it was called a B card where it was like a membership kind of thing that you could win prizes. So I would drive all day. I'd get up at 4.30 in the morning. I'd drive an hour to pick up the van. And then from like 6, 5.36, till 4 p.m. I would drive all day delivering stuff. So I had a phone with me and anytime there was a, a competition on the radio station, and you got to remember, there's no one really calling up. You know, you, you, there's not a lot of competition here uh, <laughs> as far as, the, you know, the phones are off the hook. It's, it's not really like that. Right. But I had it on speed dial. There was like punk shows, hardcore shows, metal shows. Um, any time of the day, they'd be giving away records, CDs, tickets to shows, whatever and i was first on the button on my on my phone to call up so just through bfm alone 
I experienced the greatest, you know, this is just from such a young age. I, I, I remember getting 10 CDs when I was about 14 or 15 of early punk bands from, from England, which, you know, when you're that, when you're that age, it's just everything. So anyway, I'm rambling, but fast forward, um, this is the, this is the hardest question ever. Okay. The greatest. So I've discovered a lot. I've even dived more into New Zealand music since I've been here because I guess that the, you know, being homesick and the nostalgia and all that kind of stuff. So I credit a lot of the, the South Island, the Dunedin scene with uh, labels like flying Nun records as just so influential for a lot of bands that are even around today. You know what I mean? And I see these references of like, oh, it's like Bail to Space or it's like The Chills or, you know, The Clean and stuff like that. So to me, <laughs> I don't know if one of, the, one of the choices could just be every Flying Nun Records band. Um, I've got to say that Love's Ugly Children, for me, are the greatest New Zealand band ever. Like they, to me, at a young age, were punk enough to fulfill my, my anger and rage but deep enough as well that fulfilled a lot of that stuff. Cause I've always, I've always loved that side of music. I'm a total sucker for mystery melody, you know, love songs, whatever. Like I'm, I'm I love that stuff. So to me, loves like the children mm-hmm. is, is number one. Um, balance has to be number two. They were the premier uh, New Zealand uh, hardcore band that, just gave me and all my friends so much of a, of an education in hardcore. They covered judge. They put, you know, we, you know, they were the band that I stumbled upon and stumbled upon a scene and then felt very, very welcome and felt right and felt fucking normal in a, like I said before, in a crazy world. Uh, what else, man? I think, um, okay. So then they're not a band. But uh, there's a, a female artist called Bick Runger, who's from New Zealand. And she, she had some pretty big success on her first record. I think she had a, a song on a, a movie over here. I, I forget which movie. Um, so most people might know that, that one song that she kind of had that broke through with. But in New Zealand, she's, she's loved and adored. And uh, she released a record called Birds, which to this day just kind of floors me and one of the songs on there the second song is called captured which is most people won't know this and uh they do now is the reason why i called the shop captured um it's you know one of the most beautiful songs i've ever heard and it's it's it'll just have you in tears in five seconds so um so yeah that's my three uh new zealand bands this is taking forever can you say the name of the the solo artist again her name is bick runger so it's b-i-c R-U-N-G-A. Perfect. All right. On to Australia. Anyone curious, check her out, please. Uh, Australia. um, Number one, Body Jar. Um, I was made aware of Body Jar on the Revelation in-flight series compilation, which, when did that come out? 93 or four, I think. Um, As a young kid, Body Jar were the closest band to home that were doing amazing things sort of internationally, like mm. Bill and Stefan from the Descendants produced their first record, you know, to see them on that revelation comp was huge. It was like another bridge that was kind of um, developed. Like I said earlier, you know, it's just, it just another thing that happens that you, 
brings the world closer to you, you know, and, and makes things a little more uh, possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, yeah, body jar is number one. Um, and my new band is going to be doing a split seven with them in the next few months. So that's, uh, that's pretty exciting for me. Very cool. Number two, personally, I want to say the living end, you know, um, uh, just a band that, you know, you, you kind of grow up listening to. And even though it wasn't exactly what I was listening to a lot of, it's just a band that you grow up with and you just develop such an admiration for what they've done. You know, the, the stuff they've achieved, you know, they were one of the first or probably the first band to really, you know, tour the warp tour and do all this like, you know, bigger stuff. And so, yeah, living end is number two. Uh, what else? I want to say the hard ons maybe they were when I was very young, they just went hand in hand with that thrashy skate punk, you know, cool style. Um, you know, they had the ties to America and different countries where it was like, okay, they're, you know, they're, they're the same, you know, you don't want bands to be exactly the same. You still want them to be a part of like quote unquote home. But I don't know, to me, the fact that they'd gone out and toured and they were doing all this cool stuff and, and um, I don't know, man, it's, they, they, were, they were a really cool band. So yeah, yeah. I, I, remember get, I remember getting one of their records at like this shitty little bookstore that randomly got in records. And I, you know, you see the name and you're like, the hard-ons? Oh my God, like, <laughs> you're like 13, you're like, what, what, what is this, you know? <laughs> Um, so it had that whole thing as well, which I, you know, I totally appreciate from bands like the descendants and, you know, these bands that are very quirky and kind of just throw this like comedic sort of, uh, juvenile sort of, uh, attitude into the mix, you know, not taking themselves too seriously. And I think that connected with me at that age. Heck yeah, man. That's so awesome. Um, (laughs) you know, great answer. I, I am surprised, not surprised in a bad way, but you know, any Australian, uh, when I ever ask, it's like, what's, what's one of the greatest bands from Australia? They're like mind snare, mind snare, always mind snare. And like, I've had the opportunity to see mind snare and like, I can agree wholeheartedly. They're unreal. So, um, great answers, Dan, thank you so much. This was just such a cool conversation. Um, any last words before we sign off? Uh, I just really appreciate your time. I, I, like I said before, I totally value you and what you're doing and, um, I'm just, uh, just being very glad to, to be a part of it in a small way. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, and everyone, you can check out Dan at Captured Tattoo and his awesome new band, Sharp Shock, uh, that have a bunch of stuff coming out. So that's great to hear. And everyone out there, I will see you in our outro. Dave, drop the beat. Well, that one did not disappoint for me. Dan was really um, fantastic, had a lot of things that really meant a lot to me, that stood out to me, saying, like, yeah, that's stuff that I've struggled with, too, or those are things that I've been thinking about. Uh, Just a wise guy and a really wonderful person. The thing I'd say to anyone here, if you're chasing money, that's a financial success, and you can get a lot of cool stuff from it, but that's not really going to do it for you. If you're just getting to the next level because you think that's what you're supposed to do, I question that as well. Really, every minute spent in our life should be a recognition that that's one last minute that you have. And in that, you should be trying to get the most out of every minute. That's success for me. Making each minute 
uh, act of being with people you love, doing things you care about, and feeling content with the path that you're on. If we can reach that, not only are we going to be happier, but I think we're going to have a happier planet as well. So with that, that's been our latest episode of One Step Beyond. If you liked it, please subscribe, share, like, hit all the buttons. That would be awesome. And we will see you next time on One Step Beyond. One.